and welcome to Monorants at the Movies, a podcast where we rewatch cult and lesser-known films and tell Metacritic and the Tomato Meter to go fuck themselves, because we love these movies anyway. I'm one of your hosts and jack-of-all-trades mono, and head-to-toe in black holding a four-foot puppet is my co-host and master of none, Kira. <laughs> I got a morph suit! That's right, we're talking style, stages and swords with 2010's critically panned but visually gorgeous Bunraku. Just like last week's Ravenous and Perfect Creature before it, this episode is a bit of a, a genre mash, but we feel it's an underrated gem. I did mention ratings, uh, so let's talk about the elephant in the room, Kira. Yeah, it's got a shitty, shitty rating on everything. Critics really didn't like it for some reason. Uh, um, IM- IMDb has the high... The IMDb rating is like six points something. But doesn't that have like a really bizarre... That's, well, that's, it, that's more done like, more off um, user ratings. Yeah. Whereas Metacritic... It, it's fairer across the board. Like, you've got a... Number one, you've got a way bigger sample size to, to pull a general rating off of. I, I generally find that my own taste aligns a lot better with the IMDb ratings than with Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic. Yeah, well, they're... Like, you've got critic reviews and then you do have things like that we've seen with certain movies where you get, like, hate bomb critics. Yeah. I don't think that, that this suffered that, from that. No, no. This, this wasn't big enough at because all to suffer from that. The IMDb rating as I say is around 6 point something 6.5 6.6 I think and that's probably where where I would roughly put it on Rotten Tomato it's 48 or 49% audience rating but a 17% critic approval and Metacritic has a 28% that's really so it's really it's really really low and I can see why yeah especially for like the best story in the world like it's but it you don't watch it for the story no like I said it's it's visually stunning yeah this the story is, is so just pretty. there to give a framework to what is going on in this world yeah and i think like, i understand that's fundamentally what a story is supposed to do and i get <clears> that before anybody goes mad at me but like you get movies that you don't watch for the story it's kind of like yeah. porn <laughs> yeah yeah but this is this is intellectual porn intellectual porn it's for your brain to watch and go nom 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 uh, it's definitely visually stimulating but uh, yeah no I think uh, it suffered really badly from critic reviews uh, because they all just harped on about the lack of plot or the lack of characterization or, but or it bad acting matter that these but, aren't fleshed out characters these characters are so hyper stylized mm. that you don't really give a shit yeah I like it's me, not it's not important to the plot it is not a plot driven movie no the critic thing to me comes down to the all the critics view that as style over substance but for me for me this movie for me this movie the style is the substance yes that might not be taken as a compliment by film directors necessarily or whatever but I think it's it's, it is such a stylish film it's so pretty the the action and the set pieces are so fun yes um, that I'm I'm willing to forgive a lot of the the hammy exposition and the the bad writing and the the not fleshed out characters because it's so fun to watch. Yeah, but even like if you look at it from that perspective, if it had these super fleshed out characters, like it's already quite a long film. Yeah, it's two hours long. If you had like if the main thing seems to be that these aren't fleshed out characters, if these if they took the time to flesh out these characters, this movie would be like six hours long. Yeah, it would be way too long. It doesn't <laughs> need it. You know enough about each character to know what drives them and what their motivation is at this point in time, and that's all all that is required of you as a viewer is to have a vague understanding of who these people are, 
and then watch them do their thing. Yeah, there's uh, a lot of the characters are kind of archetype characters. Yeah, there's your samurai, there's your cowboy, there's your your wizened bartender, there's who's your like main... who's your voice of wisdom. Yeah, there's your main bad guy. Um, he's a great very arch yeah. <coughs> and his like psychotic underling there's but, always a psychotic underling and they're generally the funnest character in it certainly the case in this one yes um, but we'll get to characters in a while but I think what what gets missed by say a lot of the critics is at the start in the narration when the brilliant Mike Patton is, is <laughs> doing yeah. the open narration um, well, he says it's just this is just a story set in this world. Yeah. Um, it's not trying to say anything great or yeah. grand or anything. It's just, here's the world. Here's a story inside it. Let's go. It is like the opening exposition dump, for lack of a better word. Well, it is. is so beautiful. You start out with really traditional Bunraku figures. Bunraku is, is a 400-year-old Japanese Shadow puppet art? Yeah. Um, well, I, well, not shadow puppet. Shadow is, puppet. Is, yeah, it's these beautiful it's, puppets that are manipulated by people in black morph suits, essentially. Yeah, they're, and they're that tend to be big four foot tall puppets that are, yeah. are highly stylized, uh, well, have highly stylized like, if, faces. And if stuff. you don't get what I'm on about, if you've watched The Princess Bride, the monsters the, fl- the in the swamp that dance and their heads yes. come off and they swap heads around, that's yeah. Bunraku. That might be Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's Labyrinth. Sorry. Um, In fairness, can you blame f- fantasy camp- stories all on campy on fantasy story from, from the eighties? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, there is there's puppetry in the opening scene as well. But the puppetry, what I love about it is as they're telling the story of it's basically of the evolution of mankind to where they get to a point where their desire to destroy has destroyed the world, and then there's mm. almost like a reset. But as they're telling the story, it goes from these beautiful handmade origami puppets, all the then to kind of stick figure puppets, to yeah, like, like animation, marionettes, like to animation, to proper. Th- um, you can see it's full digital animation, and then as the schism happens and they revert back, the puppetry reverts back through the stages mm. to being these handmade ones, and it's really lovely effect within the first two or three minutes of the film. Yeah, no, the the opening it's scene. Sense, is yeah, if, so- if you're not. If you're not brought in by the opening sequence, don't watch the movie. Yeah, yeah, like um, yeah. If it, if it doesn't pique your interest uh, within, yeah, with that opening scene, and, and from what we've said so far, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, probably won't be for you. But it, it certainly is for us. Yes, it's um, it's a beautiful, beautiful film. It's just it's one of those ones where if you're really, really tired, just whack it on and just let your brain have fun. Yeah, you don't. You, there's not a huge plot to follow or anything like that. No. You can kind of dip in and out of it as well. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's. Yeah, it's good to kind of just knock on. But equally, it is a film that I can watch the whole way through and not have it lose my attention. But before we lose our listeners' attention, uh, will we give them a short summary of the film? Yeah, just before we start nitpicking on this. (laughs) So, in a world ravaged by war where all firearms are banned, one man's brutal reign is threatened when a drifter with fast hands, a samurai with mean broom skills, and a bartender with a smart mouth team up to challenge the woodcutter and his ten fearsome killers. Sounds like Friday night out. Yeah. And I could have I could have gone for in a world. But <laughs> <laughs> just because it was so short. Yeah. But it is that's like Yeah, it's it's That's real, all you need. It's basically Tale is all this time. Man wronged by other man must seek revenge for honour. Uh yeah, well it, one one is for revenge, one is for honour, and one is for love. Yeah. Um revealed at various points throughout the film yeah. who, who was fighting for what. And as I say, they are archetypical characters. Yes. So their motivations are, are equally 
Yeah. Again, I don't. I don't mind. Like I, no. li- I, I like a simple film. Like we, we talk a lot. I think we mentioned it when we were talking about Midnight Me Train that it's a bit of a popcorn film. You can check your brain out, and you will hear us use that phrase a lot when talking. We about don't films. mean that in a negative way. No, like um, at all. And a lot of people may misconstrue it as that. No, like there is nothing I love more than sitting down and being able to check out of what I'm doing in the world yeah. and immerse myself in another world for maybe like. A, from night, like, you know, for two hours or whatever. Yeah. And just kind of let my brain steep in that other world for a bit. Yeah, um, like I, I, I would very much be the same. I don't, I don't. So need... we don't mean it in a in a negative context, like brain movies where that we describe that your brain can check out as a generally a positive thing. Yeah, like we don't. We will be clear when we hate a movie. <laughs> we will. Be, I'm sorry. We will be very fucking clear when we hate a movie because we will say. But like I do, I love this film. So when I say that it, it's it's a you can check your brain out film. I don't mean it as a bad thing. I mean, no, it's a I just want to be clear types. on that because yeah. it can be confusing. Because, are, like, in fairness, with Midnight Me Train, we spent the first. We love that film. We spent the first half of that like shitting all over that film. Yeah, but we love that film. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> So yeah, when I say check your brain out, I, I'm the same. I don't mean it's a bad film and you don't need to think about it. You don't need to think about it, but it's not a bad thing. No. Like there it's... are films that, that I go to for, ooh, this is, this will get me thinking and this is real, like deep or whatever, or this is real arty or whatever. And then there are films that I go to that are, to quote Robot Chicken, Mabas Bloom. Yeah. Like, Mabas Bloom. I just want explosions and gunfights and, and, and I want to shove action. popcorn in my face and yell at the TV. And, and it, it kind of, annoys me that this film is it's almost like the critics were holding it to a really really kind of high standard because they, nobody necessarily expects fucking rom-coms to have any deeper meaning or amazing oh my god or- speaking of rom-com I was recently reminded of the travesty that is Shallow Hal Shallow Hal yeah oh with um, Gwyneth Paltrow in the fat suit in the fat suit yeah goop. yeah never seen it thankfully oh god it's terrible I hate rom-coms yeah I fucking hate rom-coms and that may be typically male of me but no, I, I just is, this is just they are the worst form of cinema they're fucking dire but yeah like (laughs) rom-coms will get you know what I mean Uh, your average fucking rom-com will probably like on Rotten Tomatoes might have you know 25 or 30 or 40 50 Shades of Grey yeah like fucking 50 Shades of Grey is out there did you work in the cinema when that came out no thank fuck I didn't I worked in the cinema when the Twilight movies were out and that was bad enough um, people kept attacking the Robert Pattinson no we couldn't have any Robert Pattinson standees yeah they kept getting stolen Um, the only thing that was safe was the poster boxes because they were locked <laughs> but yeah, like this, wh- why couldn't this film just be judged on the merits of what it was? And there are bits where I do think, say, like the director thought that he was getting a bit deep and saying some, you know, saying some things about, oh yeah, this is great yeah. like, exposition on the, the the human condition. But no, if you listen to Mike Patton's narration, it's like, nah, this is just a story about about some dudes who want to fight. Like, yeah. And um, that's fine. I kind of like feel like this falls into this very same sort of niche genre as the likes of the Troll Hunter, where it is it's a, it's a bit of a weird the, um, little film. The Norwegian Troll Hunter. Norwegian Troll. Yeah, which we probably will cover as well. Yeah, which is it's it's a bit of a weird little film. It's very much a grower. It's I loved it the first time we watched it. I the first say. time I watched it, I think you're taken in by the visuals, and then the second time you watch it, you start to see kind of all these other nuances going on mm. in the world. Yeah. I wouldn't say this this has as much nuance as no, that. No, but like um, the second time you watch it, you can take in the fact that it, the way that the story moves and the way that the sets are designed is very much an homage to live theatre sets for one thing. Oh, yeah. And also those brilliant 1950s massive musical showcase 
uh, movies, like The King and I and things like that. But instead, yeah. and they've even, the directors even say to themselves that that's kind of a feel he was very much going for. But instead of it being these dance massive numbers. dance song and dance numbers, they're fight scenes. Yeah. And they're choreographed as, and, as meticulously oh, yeah. as these huge song and yeah. dance numbers are. There's two in particular. The, the, the kind courtyard. Of, the opening courtyard fight scene. Oh. And then the fight both, scene with the two fights. main characters in the square. Both fight, both fight scenes that take place in the courtyard are, yeah. are gorgeous. They are. And they are they are dance numbers of yeah. fight scenes, particularly the second one because it's full of acrobatic fighters. Yes, but it's it's just yeah, it's done so well. There is you can see, and I think that was one of the things I got criticised for was that it was such a mishmash because you can see the Western influence, you can see the samurai influence, you can see the musical influence. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily pull them all off always, but it does a, a more than adequate enough job for me to love this film. Yes, and they've done, it's been very clever. Like there's spots where like the phone call between number two and Eddie, where it's done in that theatre trick style of the have them having the almost sheer. Well, like, yeah, yeah, that's ba- that's lit so that he's in another, you can tell that the, he's supposed to be in a different location. There's mm. a lot of that going on, a lot of the way things are framed is very much done in like theatre style yeah. where everything it, there's a forced perspective going on it's a beautiful film yeah no I, and we are that, that's the thing that we're probably going to praise the most is yeah. the visuals and the fighting yeah <laughs> Kevin McKidd but it is just yeah the way everything is constructed and all the, the sets for like the town look like it's Japan by way of the old west yeah like the houses look like old west frontier towns smushed together like traditional Japanese you know, like the the temples with the the different levels. I can't think yes, of the, the, the yeah. I can't think of what they are. But yeah, it kind of looks like they're with smushed the little together. curved roofs, so the ghosts fly, uh, slide off. Them. Yeah, yeah, and there's a lot of like <laughs> the fact that that's why they have curved roofs. There's a lot of sliding doors and paper windows and yes. all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, interestingly enough, every time somebody's thrown through a paper window, there's a sound of breaking glass. <laughs> yeah, which is which is really really entertaining. The sound effects in it are great. Um, every time <laughs> Josh Hartnett's drifter character rubs the rim of his hat, there's the sound of a revolver spinning. Yeah, no, they're, they're the little musical stings that are put in. Every character has their own signature sound, and there's little refrains that you get throughout the music in this. Is, is number one insane um, yeah but not insane in the way that it wasn't ravenous no insane in a, <laughs> insane in a good way yeah the little stings and little um, like musical spikes and things like that through it yeah and there's that just add to it it's all beautiful dance there's parts that are a, a mish of like western like you know all spaghetti western music there's 8-bit music for computer games yeah there's, well um, there is very, mu- very much computer different... game style bits in it with the little car chain and the, the Fiat 600 which I want I want it so badly I need it in my life <laughs> yeah. it's the Mario kind of music where they're you know collecting bonus points and having near misses and mm. things like that the way the world is constructed in this is as appealing to me as the world in Perfect Creature but whereas the world in Perfect Creature was fleshed out through small visual details and then little bits of exposition and just things weaved in throughout it, what I love about how this world is built is literally how the sets are built. Oh, they Everything are. just looks so fucking cool. Like, the, even in the towards the end when they're, like, storming the fortress as they're going through the forest and all the trees are just these big paper mache trees. Yeah, it is. And there's hundreds of them. Like, it must have taken... The set The set builders on this deserve a round of applause. Yeah, the set, deserve, set decorator and, and the cinematographer on this film are the just... The production designer, everybody who worked on this deserves a massive round of applause and recognition for it because it is. Yeah, it is... 
done it. Anybody who worked on set design and anybody who worked on cinematography in this film, like, you know, round of applause, pool of us, you guys were MVPs for this film. Totally. Definitely. The whole, everything, the styling of it, everything. Number two, suits. Oh, oh, and I just remembered, random interesting bit. The guy who was cinematographer for this film was also cinematographer for Glengarry Glen Ross. Okay. Yeah, and a ton of like a, a shit ton of other stuff. Yeah, but that well, was Glenn the only Gary, big thing. That I, yeah, that was the only big thing I recognized. Um, yeah, the costume design on this as well, because number two suits are some of the sharpest suits I've ever seen in my life. That waistcoat that he wears in that final fight scene. Yeah. Is just ah. Uh, <sighs> <laughs> yeah but every like every, Josh Hartnett's character is the drifter and he's supposed to be that western style drifter and even the fact that he's in like the old style like kind of looser shirt with the massively long cuffs yeah with the layered the suit the coat and then the long duster over it and mm. the hat and then when he's in the fist fight he actually buttons up the waistcoat yeah. to the top so that you can't grab him by the shirt front yeah the Yoshi yeah Yoshi is our, our is samurai our, is our samurai who is in a traditional... I actually don't know what they're called. No, I I, I, I wouldn't... I don't want to... Dane to hazard a guess because no. I'd probably be wrong, but, but it, it is, is a, a traditional form of like of, <laughs> Japanese of building. Yeah, and, and he, he is he's supposed to be from Japan. Yeah, he's, he's extremely traditional in the way he's presented. Mm-hmm. Then your your bartender is just kind of... Woody Harrelson being yeah. Woody Harrelson who just rocked up onto set one day and he said... They, they just went, yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and that's... <laughs> Like that's that's how we came across this film was we were looking up Woody Harrelson on IMDb and was like what the hell is Bunraku and oh you're on in it. it and was like hey shit Ron Perlman's in this Josh Hartnett's in this Demi Moore is in this Kevin McKidd is Kevin in McKidd this. and that was it I think with with Kevin McKidd we uh, and Ron massive Perlman. Kevin McKidd yeah. fan and have been for a long time fell in love with him in, in Dog, Dog Soldiers. Soldiers. And cemented that love with uh, Lucius Verinus in Rome. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, so any time Kevin McKidd is in something, except for Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Um, or is it Eeyore? Whichever no, he hospital was, procedure. He was in Grey's Anatomy in. and the writers did him dirty, apparently. Yeah, uh, apart from that, anything that Kevin McKidd is, is, uh, Kevin McKidd is in, I'm generally... Oh, and he's in rom-coms as well. Okay. I like certain Kevin McKidd movies, yeah. but I really like this one. Yeah. No, he did, and he he's put in the time and the effort because he did all of his fight scenes himself. Well, he said he had to put in double time for this one because he basically had to learn how to dance and how to fight. Yeah, and it is. It is a dance. And yeah. it, it does. His fight scenes in particular They're, are very hyper-stylized. Yes. Because he almost never draws his sword. And he's he, always it's fighting with It's not a sword, the, it's a little dagger bit. In well, the yeah, he's got a cane with a dagger in the top of which, it. And then. Number one, hello, he has a da- cane with a fucking dagger in it. He does some damage with it. Yes, he does. He looks hilarious on the moped, though, with yeah. it. When he's but, got the cane tucked under his arm and he's like too tooting along <laughs> on his little like fucking Miata moped. Yeah, well, I suppose before we get too far into how much we love Kevin McKinnon and Killer Number Two, yeah, we give a quick rundown of the characters. We've mentioned the Drifter already, who Who's is Josh Hartnett. Yeah, he's the Drifter who comes into town. We don't really find out what his motivation is until towards the end, but it's pretty. He has clear. some interesting facial furniture going on. He does, and he, he does. can pull it off. Not very many people can pull off a Colonel Sanders. Yeah, no, he pulls it off pretty well. Yeah, a lot of people could just look like a a sex offender yeah. with that facial hair yeah. but he pulls it off on but yeah, the he's same your... train you've got Yashi coming into town on the same train as well yes yeah so there are two kind of blow-ins into town 
Yoshi's looking for a medallion um, for reasons of honor, and the drifter is looking pretty for, clear. Looking he's for looking a for card, card fight. Or card, he's looking a for card a card fight. game, and he's looking for the main bad guy, who is Nicola the Woodcutter, played by Ron Perlman. Oh, his hat! I yeah, want his hat so badly. Ron Perlman is very, very fun in this right up until the end. The well, not even the end, but the everything to do with like the card game um, and any other the time. The rest of the time he's talking, I'm I'm not into it when he's. Giving all his like, oh, the, the viciousness no, of man, and I think he was trying too hard to be. I've completely forgotten the character's name, but Marlon Brando in Apocalypse Now as the insane general. Yeah, it's like he's trying. Yeah, he's trying to pearls. You know, he's lived a long life, and he's tired of this, and he's the most powerful man west of the east of the west. Yeah, of the and Atlantic. like he, it's like it's, and you know, he's going to bestow the highest honor a man can bestow upon a woman. Number one, fuck all the way off with that shit <laughs> highest fucking honour my arse but yeah um, it's it, he. It's like he tries to go for this kind of bad guy who is a warrior philosopher you know and acknowledges that he's the bad guy but you know it's just because he's the most powerful and, and he has to and you know it's not about who's right it's about who's left on the battlefield at the end of the day and it is it's all very meh. wank but when he's just in the when he's just in the card game and not saying very much and, and that side of him yeah is very fun yeah non-talky Ron Perlman is great uh, yeah and it's not necessarily Ron Perlman's fault because yeah there is there's some terrible lines of dialogue and in, in fairness he delivered all equally terrible lines of dialogue in Mutant Chronicles and made them believable no he didn't <laughs> that's the film where he has an Irish accent for like five lines yeah and then he just gives <laughs> up <laughs> But there is, yeah, no, Josh Duhamel had one line. Dumel? Why do I keep saying Josh Duhamel? Josh Dumel? Hartnett. Yeah, you've got to talk had... hard on for Duhamel today. Oh, no, I don't. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything he's... Transformers. Oh, yeah. He's in the first Transformers. Uh, um, but he has a line when he meets Yoshi's character for the first time. And yeah. Yoshi asks him who he is. And he says, uh, you know, a friend to some, a foe to others. It depends who's asking. And then Yoshi says, I'm asking. And he goes, it's none of your business. <laughs> it's like what a fucking stupid thing to say like I'm sure it sounded badass in your head like but you know I'm either a friend or a foe it depends who's asking well you know there is somebody if asking you well you, you shouldn't ask trying that in a pub in Ireland <laughs> yeah it's just it's the stupidest you get like, the head I'm, slapped off you for being a cheeky little shit yeah I'm, I'm trying to sound badass but it actually means nothing and is really fucking stupid you, line you would actually get the head slapped off you for being a cheeky little shit <laughs> yeah the fight scene in the bar, the initial introduction fight scene with the drifter. And all, and all the, just the random people The random in the bar. gang, because yeah. apparently all the gangs in this watched the warriors and took inspiration. That gang in particular. That gang in particular, the, the acrobats as well. Yeah. Are very, very similar. Yeah, there is, because you've got the red suit guys. You've yeah. got the. Nikolai's kind of, guys are like all red suits all and very red suits. like sharp looking and like it is red full suits. on. Red suits. <laughs> And they've like the little bowler hats and stuff. And the the proletariat, the League of the Proletariat are guys. all in like overalls and grey. They're like yeah, they're, they're almost, all very Bolshevik. Do you know what they actually all resemble? There's a couple of moments throughout it where they really do resemble the old propaganda posters. Do you oh know, yeah, those, they're supposed to those super sad. Like so, the proletariat proto the 
Pro League, because I can't say that word today. <laughs> the commie guys. The commies, essentially, do look like, you know, with the that yeah. 1950s style, you know, the cuffed jeans with the suspenders with the denim mm. shirt and the puffy paperboy hat. Yeah, then you've got the acrobat crowds and then you've got... These... Who are dressed like insane clowns, and which then, was a joy for me to watch. Then these guys in the bar who are, are the rebel without a cause reject club. Yeah, they've all got like the goggles and they all very much look like... They they were in um, Easy Rider. Yeah. And what's weird to me is that the red suits are clearly like Nikolai's men. Yeah. But these guys jump on the drifter for getting too nosy about Nikolai and mentioning Nikolai. I... So I, are they just like... I, do you know the way... Basically, Nikolai, you can't have more than a gang of 20. Well, no, that's the unwritten rule of the land to, is that like you can't have yeah, more and than a gang nothing, of 20. There's nothing like more dangerous than melee weapons and like knives and swords. But they still yeah, have no like guns. trains. The technology is kind of limited. It's weird... Um, where am I going? I can't remember. Yes. Anyway, so you can't have more than 20 gangs. It's the unwritten, or people in your gang. It's kind of the unwritten rule, but Nikolai yeah. keeps nine killers around him. Yeah. Who all seem to then have their own gang mm. because he has a red army, which would be illegal under their own, not illegal, but like framed upon by the rules that he has set down on yeah, the it's, community. It's kind of vague because. How it works because there is a chief of police. Because, yeah, I was going to say, there's a, a very ineffectual police force as well that yeah. seems to be in the world and they just seem to uphold the normal law. So the, and then the, the red gang suits seem go to around operate, doing whatever they want. The, uh, yeah, the, the gangs seem to operate because they seem, you see them. Collecting protection money and shit. Yeah, it's like an that. organized crime thing. Yeah, that. so they seem to be almost be operating the way the Yakuza do, in which well, they have like, legitimate businesses, but yeah. they also do this stuff on the side. It's just and they're 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 mob stuff as well because they they seem to have like they have their hands in the local elections and stuff as well. Oh, of course they do. And uh, yeah, that that side of it is all a bit vague, and I suppose that counts. That's a point towards the negative critic reviews. Yeah, but it's not a deal breaker for me. No, I don't care about <laughs> they that. They just, yeah, Nikolai has such a, a, a stranglehold on, on the land. That Actually, the yeah, have to if, do you, what he if says. you love the Warriors, this is a great, like, stylized version of the Warriors. Because it's all, instead of them trying to get home, they're trying to get to the bad guy. Yeah, and they do have to, the, the various killers. <laughs> they do they have, have to, like, to level up. Are, yeah, it's like boss stages. <laughs> There's there's elements of two films that were in the same time of uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yeah, it's and got it. Does Zombieland. Happen. Yeah. In that you get like a lot of the, the you know people are introduced to it, like pop up cards uh, and visuals on screen and stuff yeah, like but that. They're, they're all like on strings and stuff like that, and then get whipped up behind them. Yeah, and it is when, done in screen, and it's like it doesn't matter if you can see the rope holding up the sign behind them. Like that's when, the whole point. Whenever any of the characters are talking Japanese, the translation comes up in like comic book style yeah. writing on the screen. So it's it it's got that kind of it's like an old west version of the Zombieland or the Scott Pilgrim visual sensibility. Mm. And yeah, that, that those two were both out, I think in and around that kind of two thousand and ten yeah mark. But again, this is one that just I probably I'd watch this over either well maybe not yeah. Zombieland but yeah. Scott Pilgrim was alright yeah I prefer this yeah. I definitely prefer this over Scott Pilgrim I just I find Michael Sarah really annoying but uh. we we were supposed to be talking about the characters yeah. and we got distracted talking about Ron Perlman so yeah Drifter Bartender Yoshi your woodcutter Ron Perlman's character and then you've got uh, Alexandra to be Moore's character who basically is a concubine. Yeah, a concubine. And you find out that she traded her life, essentially, to to save the bartender's life. 
um, and became his concubine 10 years previous and that her and the bartender had been lovers at the time. Yeah, well, they have matching tattoos. Yes, I didn't spot that at all. That was only something that I, I saw in the trivia. Hers is far more noticeable than his because they have they each have like half of a yin-yang. Mm. So Demi Moore has, it's on their neck below their left ear. She's mm-hmm. got the black side, which obviously is going to stand out far more than, than his. And he's also wearing a shirt collar. Mm. So. And it's probably rare that I will say this, but they don't overly play up the love story thing. No, it's re- between it's, it's nicely done. Like you, you I, I get her could, resentment towards Ron. Like her resentment towards Ron Perlman is is yeah. You get you get loads of that and and loads of Ron Perlman talking. But I I could have done with a little bit more. When the bartender only has maybe three or four lines in regards to his yeah. lost love. And, and it could very... have done a little bit more of that. And it's, that's what I'm saying. It's rare for me to be saying, yeah. oh, they should have bigged up the love plot. <laughs> <laughs> no, what I found was it, very similar to how in Zombieland, when he's talking about having the puppy, and then he, they realise that the puppy is his kid. Yeah. It's the same kind of very stoic, this is the life I lead. Yeah, well, there, he, I don't want to talk about it with the, anybody. Kind the of the lines he does, he does have about it are very much of a man who has accepted that this love is lost. Yeah, he can never he can compete do about it. against the most powerful man um, east of the Atlantic. But but there is a moment, very very briefly, where they meet towards the end of the film. Yeah, and that I thought maybe could have been fleshed out a little bit. No, not like Jimmy Moore is. is uh, is good and what like she's quite good with what she's given in this. Yeah, I do enjoy when number two's come in to speak to Nikolai. Yeah, and she's smashing the walnuts with the hammer, <laughs> oh, yeah. and she just looks so satisfied doing it. Yeah, well, and that's... her relationship with Kevin McKidd's character in it because he fucking despises her. Yeah, is just. That palpable hatred, yeah, because he's is he's really strong. The, like they, their interactions far more than hers with uh, Nikolai. Their interactions are interesting. Yeah, and it seems to be a hatred born out of he views her as just Nicholas whore, basically. Well, we, we as we discover in this, he's got his own fucked up issues. Oh yeah, he, he's he's an asshole. Yeah, he's a sadistic bastard. But, but it's but, the same thing. Like she has Nikolai's ear. Well, I think she she has his affection and his admiration and his respect far more so than Number Two does, and yeah. Number Two does everything else for him. Yeah, you know he he keeps everybody in line. He runs the empire effectively. Yeah. But that's, well, that's Kevin remar- character. Well, that's remarked upon by Nikolai. He's like, you know... Later in the film, yeah. yeah. why don't you challenge me? That's the law of the land, is that you can challenge the number one to take over. Well, yeah, you kind in of... In a duel. You can work your... Well, amongst the, the nine killers that Nikolai has, you can work your way up the ranks by challenging yeah. any particular number. And if you beat them, it's not unlike Afro Samurai. Yeah. That was the whole deal with that, with the headbands. I never watched Afro Samurai. That, yeah, no, that was the whole deal. Was there was various headbands and you could only challenge... Oh, they can only be one? You, well, you could only challenge the number one headband if you had the number two headband. Oh, uh, so like Pokemon, you need to have the badges. I never watch Pokemon. Okay, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, this could keep going for a while. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, I, get it, I get it, get it. But the killers are great fun as well. They none of them are, are fleshed out characters at all. They're basically just end level bosses to be defeated. Yeah, with, with minions, with various minions of their own. But they are they're great fun and they give us great fight scenes and great set pieces. Yes. Especially at the end when they actually make it to Nikolai's oh, place. And and the then mirror it, versions of themselves, basically, to fight. Yeah, and it does become kind of Enter the Dragon, where he's move, he's fighting his way up the temple. Yeah. 
it does very much oh, turn yeah. into Enter the Dragon. Um, yeah, the mirror fight scenes are just brilliant. Yeah, they're done. They're done very, very well. Um, I don't want to give anything away no. about them because they're they're quite fun. It does it the way this move. This movie very much has has video game elements to it in that you've got your protagonist, but the the way the fight scenes are structured, yeah, is very video gamey. Where you're moving up, you are leveling up against hires to get and to bosses and stuff. Two two of the most fun scenes to me in the film are two of the. the biggest video gamey scenes and they do kind of feel out of place because there's not a huge amount of video game element beyond the kind of the killers as bosses and fighting way up to the, the big the, boss anytime that they're driving but when they're driving yeah you get this top down GTA view uh, particularly the chase scene yeah it's, it is it is very much you used to be able to get there used to be an old tabletop game mm. that was a driving game like that where you moved had to move it on it was like a, a little car painted on clear acetate Oh yeah, yeah, I had like, the, the cheapy home version of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he's showing her age. Uh. <laughs> but that scene, and then there's a jail breakout scene that's very much framed as like a two D platformer, and yes, that's one of my favorite scenes in the is, whole film. That is great fun. Not not but only it, because it's, it's starts- framed like a two D platformer as well, but it's also very much framed like how a stage production would show something like that, like somebody progressing through a building. Yeah, if you think about like the likes of even if you go to like old music music videos like Jailhouse Rock. Yeah. It's that kind of layout. Yeah, it's the, the, the open side of a... Yeah, it's the, 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 the cross, house It's the cross-section. Yeah, that's one of my favourite scenes in it. Not least because it starts with uh, a Faith No More quote. Yes. <laughs> happy birthday, motherfucker. Yeah, happy birthday, fucker. But yeah, those two scenes are, they're, again, visually really appealing, but they do kind of feel a little bit out of place in yeah. the rest of the, the film. I, I will say that the, the prison breakout fight sequence really really reminds me of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles do you remember that level that we got stuck on for fucking ages oh it's, it's ages? any it's no, any no no, two- no 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 do you remember that level that we got stuck on for fucking ages because we kept trying to jump over that gap when you just had to walk over it yeah everybody yeah. got stuck on that yeah that's it just really um, really reminds me of that for some reason <laughs> it's any 2D just that platformer. one specific level that's because that's the one that you remember the most but yeah. it's any 2D platform yeah I know it is I know it is <laughs> that, that's just seared into your brain yeah because it was frustrating as fuck <laughs> but the oh where was I going where was I going the video game elements of it yeah, except they, for when they're driving um, even the driving scene the chase scene they, they just stand out a bit kind of tonally from the rest of the visuals as I say they're, they're really fun to watch yeah. but they, they stand out a bit because the rest of it is so much based around stage productions and yeah. what you might see on a stage in a theatre that the jailbreak scene as you said yeah it, you do there you is still an element it. of it yeah but you'd never get a top-down oh, car chase scene. Shout out to the play. guy in the jailbreak sequence who was just coming out of the john and zipping himself up and didn't <laughs> ask for any of that. The, the very last guy. The very last guy, out. yeah, who gets punched out and he's literally walking out of the toilet zipping himself up. <laughs> yeah. The card game scene is quite fun as well. I um, did like the card game scene. Um, I like the fact that they all look like fucking characters from Cluedo. <laughs> they kind of do, yeah. Like, especially Boris. The, mm. What was he? The, the, um, Boris is like the union rep. He's Yeah. 
He looks like a virus. But yeah, no, the the, the card game scene is fun. It's it's uh, it's a bit cliched. Also, that casino has the best entrance I've ever fucking seen. <laughs> the revolver barrel. Yeah, I mean, you go in the elevator and it moves like it it actually turns like a revolver would and drops you down a level. Yeah, and then there's the pistol shot when the door is open. Mm. It's just so good. But yeah, no, that's the it is everything visual in this film is just so fun and just parts of it are just so unique. And yeah, uh, yeah I, I probably said it a bunch of times. I'm say it a bunch Even more. the way it's lit, like the mm. wet, like as they're moving through set pieces, different things will will spotlight. Yeah, there's a, a lot of heavy use of spotlight and shadowing for, for yeah for character interaction, especially like when he walks to the casino and he walks to the ticket booth, and then the ticket the cashier, sorry, mm. when he asks him what behind what's behind that door, and the door illuminates behind them because you yeah. haven't seen that door up until that point. Mm. Yeah, no, there is. There's a lot of great use of spotlight and shadow and stuff like that throughout. It as well, and the as I, the set pieces, the fights, fighting set pieces are just so much fun. They're just gleeful. <laughs> they really are. The big kind of dancey set pieces in the square are great. The one-on-one circus fight versus the samurai fight outside. Yeah, and with the, the Andre three thousand. The rain fight because you've got two really different styles. You've got the the, the brawler, mm. and he is a brawler. Yeah. Against the, the very smooth, precise martial arts martial style arts. of fighting. Yeah. yeah. And that one is great. The first punch on that is fucking brilliant. Mm. Yeah. There's a couple of, yeah, there's a couple of really nice, um, yeah, fight scenes like that where there is a juxtaposition of like fight styles. Cause you very much do, there's the three kind of main fight styles. Right? You've got your brawlers, there's your martial artists, and then there's the kind of acrobatic fighting styles yeah. that you get heavily throughout this film. That yeah, capoeira and and then even just straight acrobatics. Yeah, and, and that fight scene, that's one of the few times I've seen acrobatics used in a fight scene where it made sense because they're, they are all flipping around him to, as a disorientation tactic with them yeah. punches coming from out of nowhere because not every person is going for them. They're all distracting him mm. and taking, it's like watching, if you watch any sort of pack Hunter taking down yeah. something where they hound it and they nip it and they just wear it away constantly. Yeah. Like one of them taking the full brunt and they're just, they just jab and poke and stab and mm. until he gives up and they're all fine. They're all like more or less fine. Yeah. yeah. And a uh, couple of them he manages to flatten. Oh yeah. And uh, <laughs> one or two of them are out cold. The red suits are all swordsman so that's where you get all your sword play yeah and then obviously anything to do with the drifter is just fists flying yeah <laughs> and then the 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 woodcutter has these big ass axes yes oh and i think it's a little bit unfair because everyone else every other weapon that they use nobody it's all close quarters yeah we see one arrow get shot but that's as a a signal to like start an attack yeah whereas the woodsman and I always it's the one thing he's the only person who does it is he throws it yeah well that's he's what I thought he's the only one who has I, like almost like a distance weapon oh uh, yeah I kind of bitched him out at for the fight at the end because it's a cheap shot when, it is a cheap shot when he turns around he just hurls it yeah, at him yeah the second that, that the opponent walks into the room like, he turns and fires an axe and at the, at the very start when we're introduced to him yeah and he a guy's running at him the cape with the, the I'm sorry that hat yeah the hat deserves a rant all of its own it's fucking magnificent whoever designed it the giant straw hat the giant straw hat because it's almost always in shadow mm. and this insane profile it's just it it doesn't matter who's under the get up and he 
there is a, a, a conversation about that later on when he's mm. like, you know, I was just a man and needed this. Yeah, men age, costumes don't. Don't, yeah. yeah. And it is the, this grossly oversized, over-stylized with the big peak at the front. But but yeah, when he when he shows up at the start and he throws the axe at that guy, well, aside from the fact that the guy doesn't even try and block at all. No. It is. Everybody no, but he's else. running straight at it. He had time to duck. <laughs> everybody, and nobody even throws rocks or anything in this yeah. film. He's the only person who throws anything and it is kind of yeah it's like ah oh, cheap shot guy yeah like no wonder no wonder nobody's ever defeated you when you just fucking act straight at their head before they have a chance and to do anything else and you live on the top of a mountain like he literally lives in one of those insane you know when you see those pictures of like Buddhist shrines up the top of the mountains yeah. that are just perched on them yeah that's, that's what he lives in yeah and he's got a camp full of his red suit soldiers I, I like at the bottom of the path at the only like point of egress to the ca- to his like fucking fortress yeah he has a massive camp of, of soldiers and prostitutes <laughs> yeah basically because that's where the prostitutes are too yeah. um, and then the town is further down and they cower in fear yeah and, and he keeps I say he keeps talking like he's some big warrior philosopher and he's like no you're just a dude who chucks axes at the first available opportunity yeah get over yourself but the the plot's about the other thing we haven't really talked about the plot but it is very re- yeah. the summary that I gave at the start is basically the plot yeah two dudes rock up into town and team up with a guy in the town to stop the bad guy yeah. of the town and now, that's it it is important to note that there are some extra characters that do come into play so Yoshi actually has family in town mm. he has his uncle and who's just uncle and yeah. the cousin Momi Mo- uh, Momoko Momoko who's who she's she's quite mouthy she's she's actually quite fun she's a fun character she is she's She's a amazing. bit under-characterized yeah. in this. They own, they own a, a Japanese restaurant. They're obviously doing... Their, they pay their protection, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But because when he rocks into town, he stirs up shit, they take it out on the family. Yeah, the uncle... There's so they're, parts of like the fights and stuff that he has with the uncle that I feel kind of just confuse Yoshi's very little motivation yeah. that he has in the first place. Yeah. Like it would be enough for him to show up and be on this mission to get this medallion and the uncle to be pissed off at him because he's bringing shit down on him. Yeah, he's he's fucking but, up their way alive. But there's all the, the various arguments they have about honour and, and Jin and his father and sometimes Yoshi seems like he hates his father and other times he's like defending him against the uncle and it's... I found it to be a bit muddy. I felt like there was a lot more going on there in terms of Japanese culture Culture. that is completely lost on me. Um, Not being of that culture. I don't know. uh, To me, it just, apart from the mention of of like Jin, it was just, it was a lot of talk of honour. Yeah. I just found that there was maybe there was too much there between him and the uncle. Yeah. That, as I said, if, if it was to be fleshed like out, all it would he make had it to long. do, yeah, realistically, all he had to do was in that first sequence, punch out the guy, which he does, mm. and then have them retaliate and that be the whole thing. It that could be the source of conflict between him have. and the uncle. Yeah, yeah. And towards the end, the uncle is like, oh, well, you know, you come here and you've wrecked my home and you've wrecked my business. Why not lead my daughter astray into this path of violence as well? Yeah. Again, that can be enough conflict. Yeah. We didn't need any of this weird animosity between him and his dad and the mission that he was sending him on and the path that Yoshi was going down. It was all to me it just landed flat. Yeah. I just I I honestly like there's bits of this movie I tune out and that That's... tends to be what it is. <laughs> yep. I could just be like, oh okay, phone break la 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 
and then I'll tune back in for something else and be like, oh, okay. Because you can do that with this and it doesn't actually affect your overall enjoyment of the story. Like it's, yeah. you know, it's a subplot. You need to know that at once, at some stage, he's going to have to go and rescue her because his actions have repercussions. He has to rescue her. That's all you really need to know. Mm, you don't, for, like, all the shit, like, especially because you don't actually get any resolution of his conflict with the uncle, realistically. Well, no, the uncle dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, like... But, yeah, the, the kind of, the subplots in this suffer from a, a lack of development, but it's already two hours long. So I do, this is one of those things that I think maybe could have benefited from being a four or five episode miniseries. Yeah. The, you could then have had more stuff to do with the bartender and his lost love and Yoshi and his family you drama. Really get to see any of those killers. Yeah, and you could have the had light, more. The actual world that this exists in because as we find out later on, there's actually like a guerrilla army operating as well. Yeah, that I feel like that gets that, thrown in very yeah, much Yeah, except for the, 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 the really, really unnecessary montage because there's got to be a montage and oh there's got to be a montage and this is the montage and this is the music for the montage <laughs> yeah the the resistancy stuff uh, it is the resi- the resisty gets thrown the general I do feel like it very much gets thrown in at the end just so they could have a big battle scene and the yeah. big battle scene is fun but yeah it does kind of feel tacked on but if if it were, were a like, miniseries, no, you, you, you could really, you could have worked point. in these elements earlier on in a yeah. miniseries, like, and you could have had the killers fleshed out more and be like the bad guy at the end of each episode, being different killers, kind of thing. Yeah. Because you do get kind of an idea, like in that first fight sequence where the woodman is being challenged in the courtyard Mm. and he doesn't, you can challenge him directly, but he'll send one of his killers to go and deal with you. Yeah. And if you beat them, then you can have a go at him. Yeah. You've got the people's liberation front, because that's what I'm going to call them now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can't say that other word today. They're on the roof watching it, so like they've already been brought in early on, but then there's no mention of them after that. Yeah, they're brought in there at the start. Like, so if they'd been kind of scene, if they'd been kind of more present in the background, there's one, it wouldn't be as shocking when they're brought there in is, later on. There's one scene where they're like taking a, the red suits take away somebody who's running for some position, like they're a candidate. Yeah, and you can see that they're kind of controlling the elections, and there is a little bit of the proletariat guys there. And you see some posters throughout it as well, but yeah. yeah, it's not. It's it's kind of there a little bit at the start, and then at the end, they're like, "Oh shit, we forgot about these guys, and we we need them for our battle scene." Yeah, quick, let's throw in this, and then throw in the montage. I really just like that montage. It's it's probably the thing I hate the most out of the film is that fucking montage. Yeah, it really bothers me, and I don't know. I can't what quite if, put my finger on why if, it bothers me, but it does. One of the funniest bits in that. Or say not in the montage, just in the film for me was when Killer Number Two is going on about how his men are dropping like flies and they don't seem to be doing he's anything the about one it. One killing he, them at that point. Yeah, he's killed more of his own men than Poor any Eddie. of the. All he told Eddie was that he was going to take his eye, not stab him through the brain. But yeah, he literally he slits the throat of like six or eight red suit guys. And then goes goes to his boss and is like, our men are dropping like flies. Like, yeah, because you keep fucking uh, killing them. We need to do like a little like side hub and collect our favourite villains like that. Because Saul and Doomsday is very, very similar. Like, yeah, Saul and Doomsday, killer out, number two. Like the ones that are just like taking out their own guys for shits yeah. and giggles. And it's like, stop it, you keep killing them. <laughs> yeah, no wonder they're dropping like flies. Fucking um, thingy last week in Ravenous. He's eating his own people. Uh, well, yeah, that was kind of different, though. Yeah. 
But yeah, no, that bit just cracked me up where he's like, ah, oh, no, everybody dies because you keep fucking killing them, yeah, man. Yeah, because like, the, he, Yoshi didn't kill anybody until like... Yeah, he beat the shit out of a lot of guys. Yeah, but he didn't kill them. Like, they were still breathing. Like, and even he didn't... Kill number two doesn't even kill anybody in the, that first fight sequence. He never unsheathes the cane. No, so he, well, just, well, he, he tells... Well, sorry, he is responsible for the... Well, not even him. It's because it's the, it's the woodcutter who says yeah. to kill all the other guys. Yeah. That actually is lovely because all the guys are all lying on the ground after killer number two's gone through and like they're like um, hang on hang on thinking back about this now he soundly um humiliated them all and then as they all as the rest of them move forward they all take a position over one of the guys with the sword yeah and when he gives the signal to kill them all they all just go they straight all in for the stab and but twist that's 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 what i'm thinking about and the main guy gets an axe fucked in his head and do- doesn't dodge it in that fight yeah and a bit stupid i think that the only person that killer number two kills that isn't one of his own men is the uncle. Yeah. I think literally everybody else he kills in this movie is his own yeah, men. Yeah, he always gives a signal to somebody else to do it. Yeah, he gives signals for other people to be killed or he, yeah. he has fights uh, that don't end in, you know, deaths. Yeah, he 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 doesn't have to. He he only kills one innocent person, and everybody else he kills is his own man in the whole movie. I hadn't (laughs) spotted that before. (laughs) Yeah, he's just like he's just busy killing everybody. Yeah, damn, that's funny. That's that's even funnier than I thought it was. Yeah, like he just he's got a real hard on for killing other people, for killing his own people. But if we were to talk best bits, worst bits, what for uh, us that we enjoyed in the film? Obviously, for me, worst bit is a fucking montage at the end, and it is. It is literally just that I cannot. I think part of it at this stage is it is it is a long movie. It is longer than it needs to be. Yeah, it's longer than it needs to be, and this it's just three or four minutes of unnecessary. Yeah, it's. I think it, it is. Was it, it's, like it's, that's it's, where it feels like it drags us towards yeah. the end. Because you've got like, oh, they're going to get this thing mm. and it's all good. And then it's like, oh, wait, we're going to have a montage. And then it slows down again after that. Yeah, the pacing towards the end It, can, does, it gets a bit like, yeah, no, yeah, no. Mm, like It, it just, does suffer just from the pacing. Just pick a fucking gear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not great. Um, that would probably be one of my Yeah, it is. That would, be, well. that would be a big con for me is the fact that it is, it is a very long film. I wouldn't say it's, it's not super long. Like, I don't feel like it drags the whole way through I have watched but worse if there but, are yeah. certain bits like all the shit that's like between Yoshi and his family that I tend to lose interest in and mm. then it can be once that's over with it's okay I can get back into it sorry we have a cat going mental but yeah the bits with Yoshi's family I find can be very draggy yeah they can apart from the very first scene where there's a fight at the end of it in the restaurant which is really funny I, yeah I don't much care for the uncle and I don't much care for his cousin and I, I'd kind of could do without it yeah we could we could probably have done without it maybe it was just to have him a bit because we already have one drifter yeah. who we know nothing about until the very very end we find out exactly what his motivation is. Yeah. And the bartender is again, he doesn't have any family or anything like that. So maybe it was just to get. But us... even his piano te- player leaves him. Yes, even his piano player leaves him. <laughs> That's actually hilarious when he walks into the bar, when the director walks into the bar for the first time and the piano player is playing something like incredibly morose. Yeah. And the bartender turns around and just lamps a, a lemon at him and beans him right in the head and he just switches back into that kind of old timey, like atypical happy western piano music. <laughs> or when Yoshi first comes into the bar and asks for a whiskey and the bartender says, what kind? Yoshi says, any kind. Oh, and he climbs all the way he up very to the top. He slowly climbs to the top shelf and takes this crystal <laughs> Bottle down. And he's holding it with both hands. Yeah, 
pours a tiny little shot and, and a, a literal drop falls onto the counter and he like licks, it. licks that drop <laughs> well puts it on his finger and in licks fairness, it off in fairness we've both worked as bartenders over oh, the yeah, years oh yeah somebody says any kind of yeah you got and they go look the like shelf. they can afford it you go for the top shelf stuff yep I nearly got fired once after, <laughs> after selling a whole bottle of extremely rare whiskey to to two very drunk Americans because now he was going to have to go through the hassle of look, reordering it, it. <laughs> yeah. um, it was a nice bottle of whiskey though but yeah no there's there's some great little just small fun bits like that that it, just little bits of comedy there, yeah, there's there is a sort of a good bit of humor in it. But I think if the the shitty montage towards the end and the pacing were, were kind of towards the worst end of things that I, I didn't enjoy, I really enjoyed well Woody Harrelson. I always enjoy Woody Harrelson. Yeah, it's great. Woody is great in this. Woody is great in everything. I I honestly just think they just let him just go just off do on these little want, diatribes like. that he goes on. <laughs> yeah, because I like I've seen him being interviewed and it's very similar. Yeah. Uh, I love the whole gunslinger without a gun and samurai without a sword aspect. Yeah. Is just I don't know why that just gets me, but I really like that. I yeah no, it is it's it's a very fun film. No, it is it's it's very fun, and it, uh, we kind of said it at the start. It's not it's not an Oscar winner. It's not like it's it should it's be not even close. Production design. Yeah, like well, yeah, in terms of plot and character and and script. Like in fairness, if fucking Suicide Squad, if that fucking shitty 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 Suicide Squad film can win for fucking makeup, <laughs> yeah, over Star Trek B. Beyond, thank you very much. I'm like just yeah. <laughs> they yeah, should no, have it's... at least gotten a nod at I at least in the production side of things. Oh, definitely. Like and and if you 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 hit the nail on the head at the start. If you watch that that opening bit, and if you don't like the style of the opening bit, you're probably not going to like the rest of the film because outside of the style and the visuals, there's not a whole lot else to grab onto apart from the action and the fight scenes. Yeah, because you can't really get a good. Get your teeth into the characters, and or the then plot. you get Mike Patton. I know, yeah, Mike interjecting Patton. as the Mike narrator. Patton as the narrator is great fun. Yeah, and I think he does. There are bits of it where Mike Patton's narration is just like, oh yeah, yeah. Remember, this is just this is just a story about some dude duking it out. Yeah. Never mind what the fucking woodcutter is saying. Never mind what the director thinks. This is just a story about some dudes fighting. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I love Mike Patton's narration in this. Yeah, well, that was kind of like a. a Honestly, this this movie was found through trawling IMDb. Yeah, and we and saw... And being like, ooh, what have you been in? Ooh, what have you been in? Ooh, I wonder what you've been doing in a while. Yeah, with Ron Perlman, Kevin McKidd, and Mike Patton as narrator, yeah. Woody Harrelson as some bartender, we were like, yeah, this is definitely worth a shot. Yeah. And we think we found, a, found it streaming somewhere and watched it and really enjoyed it. Yeah. Like I said, fuck, fuck Metacritic, fuck Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Watch it for yourself. Yeah. To make your mind up if you... If, if it sounds like if something you'd like. If you're the type like. of person who enjoys either westerns or martial arts movies as well, this will this will tickle your fancy. It's a nice mix. Yeah, no, I do. Uh, unless you're like a complete film snob and can't just can't enjoy films that don't you know that aren't written perfectly and don't have really deep characters. Because this has none of that. Yeah, I think <laughs> unless you're, unless you're a film snob like that, there is a little bit of something for everybody in in yeah, this film. Yeah, it is. It's a really really enjoyable film. Yeah. Now I I know we did we did plenty of shitting on this as well, but with the rating it has, obviously it's not a perfect film. 
But no. we never said we were going to talk about perfect films. We just said we were going to talk about films that we love. And we're we currently love this film. trying to... Well, currently one one DVD has been located. Yeah, we really want to cover Doomsday, but we have a special edition of it with like an I, awesome booklet with loads of info. And I, I don't want got a massive making of behind the scenes as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to do a Doomsday episode until we've like... And Extraordinary is, is on its way. I had to go and buy a copy of yeah. it because it's been taken down off every streaming service around which is a shame because this is why physical media matters it's peak Irish comedy it's it's, if you are if you remember Father Ted and found it funny get your (laughs) hands there's a few a few Irish films extraordinary whenever that arrives we'll be covering it I'm currently waiting on it (laughs) yeah there's a few Irish films that we really want to cover well mostly Irish comedies that we really want to cover and extraordinary is one of them that was 2019 or 2020 yeah, it just, uh, oh. great little flick great little flick and a comedy we will eventually cover a comedy I know we keep saying that but, <laughs> but we were just like yeah. we were deciding what to cover and we had a couple of comedies in mind and then we saw Bunraku and we're like will we do Bunraku We'll do Bun Let's do Bun <laughs> And if we agree on something quickly, it's best to just go with it. <laughs> we have, what, roughly six? Six, seven hundred DVDs, at probably. This point. And that's physical copy DVDs, not um, on hard drives and stuff. Yeah, um, which involves a lot of fighting, and the room we store them in has it, uh, is due to be renovated. So they're not even in fucking order. <laughs> yeah, so when, <laughs> when we find something and we agree on it, we do it. We do it. So hopefully we'll agree on something for next week. Yeah. Um, like I, I'm just going to say, hey, yeah, maybe we'll do a comedy because I know we won't. But yeah, no, we'll probably find something else. I, I, but why break a pattern? Yeah, I'm sorry. We, we watch a lot of horror. We watch horror and we watch funny shit and we don't seem to on comic books and that seems to be it. No, well, plus I think there's an element of comedy films can be that little bit harder to talk about if you're not yeah. just saying, hey, this no, bit was funny what? and this bit was funny. If, if anybody wants me to make you sit down and watch, ooh... Dangerous Liaisons. Oh, you just want want me to watch something that you know I will fucking hate? I don't think you'll hate it, but I think it'll give you good rant fodder. You'll probably hate it, especially for Keanu Reeves' really bad period accent. Can't be worse than fucking Dracula, can it? This was pre-Dracula. But is it worse? It's it's interesting. It's basically Jonathan Harker, but he's still a bit valley boy. Oh, right. Yeah. (laughs) Because he's like, Hark! What window? <laughs> it's very, very that. I say it to thee. Whoa. Yeah, basically. <laughs> tits. Because um, he gets it really young. There's a really, really young Uma Thurman in it. Like, she's only like 14 or 15 in it. I, I, I don't need a breakdown of it now. <laughs> um, You might eventually get me to watch that. Yeah. But we will be back next week with our Something. usual undecided film. <laughs> We're Thank- yeah, we're bad at this. We're bad at, at planning ahead, but we're we're good at at, at uploading weekly. Yeah, so, we've I mean, that going for us. At least we're consistent in our inconsistence. Yeah. <laughs> but thanks for joining us, guys, and we'll be back next week. And in the meantime, you can check out our first three episodes if you haven't already, uh, or you can head over to Mono Rants the Boys and hear us waffle on about every episode of Amazon's The Boys. Um, you can chat with us on Twitter at Rants Mono, or you can send us an email at monorantspodcast at gmail Catch you next week, guys. Bye-bye. We are Science Fiction Remnant. This is the Funny Science Fiction Podcast. We are the Caribbean Science Fiction Network. We are Monorats. We are One Chord Level 2 Podcast. This is Sci-Fi.